Good morning. If you got your Bibles, and I know you do, one way or the other, by paper or on your computers, turn with us to Malachi. As we're finishing up next week, it'll be our last week in Malachi. And just so you know what we're planning on doing, as when we finish Malachi, we're going to jump right, pick right back up where we left off in the Gospel of John. So we'll be picking up in John chapter 8. And in God's timing, we're going to be looking at chapter 8 during the Christmas season. And really for the whole month of December, we're going to be looking through John chapter 8 with the context, the umbrella of the incarnation. And so I'm excited about that. So let's, this letter, this, uh, the book here as the prophet has turned a corner. It's focusing on the future. We're going to be looking at that both this week and next week. Week. So we're looking all the way down to chapter 4, verse 3. A little bit of overlap between this week and next week, and you'll see that. So let's stand in honor of God's Word. We're just going to read a, a couple verses, a few verses this morning, just to get our minds around sort of what I want us to focus on today. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to be reading from verse 16 to verse 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. This is God's Word. Pray with me. Lord, there is both some wonderful verses here in this section. There's some sobering verses, Lord. Help us to gain joy and comfort from all of it today. Comfort your people. Comfort your suffering people. Comfort those who have suffered much over the last several months, some of them over the last years. Speak words of comfort and joy and confidence and security over those whom you have purchased with the blood of your own Son. Stir our affections for you, God. Leave us in awe and wonder today. For we need it in this day, Lord, and for our future in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, one of the questions, if you've got your notes, is how do I see the Christian faith? How do you see your Christian faith? As it has worked out in your life since the Lord has saved you? Because by and large, we really practically, and I'm not talking about what you would say if I asked you. I'm talking about what our lives say objectively. That we see the Christian faith as either a family relationship, a consumer relationship, or merely a practical investment. And if you've picked up on it, those in Malachi, at least part of them, we're going to see the other side of them today. There's a part of them who, who see their faith as basically investment. An investment, you know, is something that you put in. You Maybe you put it in an IRA or maybe you invest in a stock market and you diversify and you work on it. What's the plan? That one day it's going to what? To pay off. 
One day you can sit back and relax and get the fruit of your investment. And some people treat their faith that way. Waiting for that day and frustrated because just don't seem to be paying off. We could see our Christian faith like a consumer. You know, if you've ever run a business, it's about product and services. It's about getting people to get by more product. It's about giving them a good service so they'll come back. And we see it in this culture. People shop around and pick on the bride of Christ like she's a buffet. Or do we see it as a family? You see, a family has parents, sometimes one, sometimes two. The children don't always understand the parents. Take it as a father. Sometimes the father does things we don't understand what he's doing. He doesn't always explain him what he's doing. But here's what we must know. Here's what we should know. He is powerful. He is good. He is faithful. He always keeps his promises. And above all, he loves me. That's the Christian faith. We are God's children. We are not his customers. And he is not our investment partner. He is the Lord of hosts. And so we've looked at this, our heart attitude, that which gets in the way of our worship, that which drives us to worship. And now we come back to what we've already touched on, which is the fear of God. We've looked at the respect side a few weeks ago. Now we're looking on the reverence side. If I had it to do over again, I would call it covenant awe. I'd already studied and working on the message, and I remember this book. I would highly recommend it. If, if, you, have, if you have children, you've probably read Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, this is the same guy, Paul Tripp. He wrote a book called All. It has affected not only my introduction, but also my conclusion um, today, and I want to give credit to him. He has impacted our life as parents. He has impacted me in the way I see the fear of God. He says we are hardwired for all. That our life proves it. We are hardwired for it. We can't stop it. Whether it's at the Grand Canyon, or whether it's a juicy steak, or whether it's kissing your spouse, we are hardwired for all. All creation points us. Creation, the created, points its finger toward the awesome one. The earth, you see, and all of its creativeness, all of the creativity that even we bring into it, is never meant to satisfy us. It is meant to point us to the one who is. And we're going to prove it here in a few days when we eat too much and say, I'm not going to eat again for a week. And you're going to wake up in the morning and what's it going to be? You're going to say, Man, I'm hungry. Why am I hungry? I ate like a pig yesterday. You see, that's pointing to you something. You can treat your whole life that way. You can treat your whole life like you're eating Thanksgiving and you will wake up every morning hungry because it's never meant to satisfy you. We're hardwired to worship our Creator, to stand in awe of Him. And two truths today, again, informed by this book and how it impacted me. Every single person has a baseline, fundamental, life-motivating awe of something or someone. Every single person, there is no exceptions, has a baseline, a foundational, life-motivating awe of something or someone. And every single person is created to live out your everyday and their everyday in the awe of God. And if they do not, they will live in the awe of something else.
so the Lord of hosts desires reverence expressed through faithful service. I want to really hone down the message today to look at he desires it and he rewards those who revere him. I've been, I know I've been using some words that aren't really words, but you know I'm going to keep doing that when it Hopefully I can get them to stick in your head. You see, there are two groups of people. We see them in Malachi and we see them in today. There are allless people and there are old people. And there are some allless people who are part of the church. Who take an apathetic and indifferent. Remember the Malachi's people in the Israel's response? Eh. Eh. Allless. So... You see the irreverent respond. We, we all will respond. We can't help it. Look at verse 13. How they're responding. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? So I want you to see first, the irreverent respond with hard words. This, means to be, this can be actually positive, depending on the context. It means to be intense, to be strong. We have seen constantly that Israel has not taken seriously what the Lord has said. Let's just remember together what we've been so far. In chapter 1 and verse 2, God tells the people that He loves them. Imagine. God says, I love you. You know what they how they responded? Yeah, right. How have you loved us? In verse 6, God says, You're not showing me the proper respect I deserve as your father. And they said, What? I did what you told me to do. In chapter 2, verse 10, he tells them to be faithful in your marriage relationship. They said, it doesn't matter how I live my personal life. My personal life is my business. God told them to pursue justice. You know what they said? Where's the God of justice? Seems like people who are evil are getting by with it. God doesn't care about justice. And if God doesn't care about it, why should I? God told them in chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, you remember? So that my leaders might eat and the poor might be fed. They said, what's the point of doing such a thing? It's not paying off for me. So who cares? They have treated God with disdain. You see, this, these responses we have seen over these few weeks are the exact opposite of the fear of the Lord. The exact opposite of respect. The exact opposite of reverence. And the best way we can see those who fear God and those who do not is look at how they serve. Matter of fact, you look at how they don't serve. Look at verses 14 and 15. You have said... It is vain, it is useless to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping His charge? Or of walking as in the morning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers not only prosper, but they put God to the desk and they escape. So what's the point of serving Him, God? It's not paying off. Who cares how I worship? Who cares whether I obey? It's getting me nothing. Psalms 119, verse 36 says this, the psalmist. Incline my heart to your testimony 
and not to selfish gain. You see, if you do not incline your heart one way, your heart will be inclined the other. But here's what we see. Here's what I want you to focus on. The, the reverent, the awed, the awed respond to. Do you see it? Look at verse 16. It is a central verse in this section. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Sounds like a church service, doesn't it? They, 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 they spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So what we get here is this, this repeated truth throughout redemptive history that God always preserves a remnant. Always. It is our story. It is your story if you're in Christ. There is a wide road and there is a narrow road. And the wide road has a carpooling lane. It has six lanes of traffic. It has a place that you can ride your bicycle. You can take a hike on the way to hell. On the wide road. Just pick your way. It's wide. Many go. But the narrow way? That's what he's saying. It's two groups of people. Look how they respond. You see this word, fear, is important. Because when we read the word fear, in Hebrew, it could be three different words. One is for the word dread. Or fear directly. The second is a lot like it. It means to be terrified. The third is to show reverence or respect. That's how it's used in this text. It's used in the same way in Proverbs 3 and verse 7. When he says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This is very simple in application. You see, when you stand in awe of God... You will always have your back towards evil. And any time you begin to stand towards evil, you have your back towards the awe of God. It's a practical for the, for the Proverbs wisdom. Stand in awe of the Lord and you will turn away from evil. This is what the remnant decide. You see, the fundamental line in the sand, the fault line if you want to call it, it's not race, it's not gender, it's not class, it's not your political affiliation. It is those who fear the Lord and those who do not. We have sinned against our brothers and sisters when we divide for any reason other than to see who are those who fear the Lord and those who are those who do not. Because they are the faithful remnant. They are the reverent remnant. They are only two, as Bonhoeffer would say, those who are true believers and those who believe in cheap grace. Faith without a cross. Faith without Christ. We all feel like we're sitting on an island in our faith sometimes by ourselves. You remember Elijah felt that way in 1 Kings? You remember sitting there having a little pity party? We've all had that pity party at some point. I think I'm the only faithful one here. Remember what he said? I have reserved for myself 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee. The truth is, brothers and sisters, you're not alone. Romans chapter 11 calls, says that we are remnant chosen by grace. Chosen by grace. Those who fear the Lord, listen, this is important. 
They remained together and they remained faithful. They remained together and they remained faithful. They are together. Do you see in verse 16? You see, they don't see religion. They don't see their faith as a commercial transaction like Cain did. They see it from a relational understanding that this is our God, this is our Father, and we will trust Him, though we do not always understand what He's doing. Sometimes we get angry at God. You can look at the Psalms and see times when the psalmist was angry, when he was confused, when he was frustrated. We didn't understand it. But those who fear Him are not people who don't have questions. There are people who trust Him. They love Him. They remain together, and they remain faithful. How do we know they remain faithful? Look at verse 18. It's how they serve Him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. How can you see a distinction between them? Between the one who serves God and the one who does not. So the irreverent, the aweless... Do not serve him. What's the use? Those who serve, serve him in the fear of God say, we're going to serve him. We're going to trust him. Here's what I want you to see today. I want you to see the promise of the reward. The Lord of hosts rewards reference. He, re he rewards all. Now at this point, this is focused in the future. Our faith is a past we look to the cross it's one we use in the present but it's one that has promises for the future i'm gonna we're gonna look at this more in detail next week but i want you to see verse one of chapter four well, there is punishment for the irreverent i'm just going to read this verse and i'm going to read one verse to point out something for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will, it will leave them neither root nor branch. Brothers and sisters, there is coming a day when absolute justice will come for all those who have hurt people in unjust ways. God sees it, and absolute justice is promised. Turn with me to Jude. Jude. Look at verse 14 and 15. Notice that it's not just what people do. It's what people say. Jude, verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying... Behold, the Lord comes when 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And listen, and, all, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Those that are irreverent make no mistake. They hurt people, especially the people of God. But from the very beginning, it has always been reminded. God sees it, and God will remember it, and God will make it right. But how about those that fear Him? How about the old? 
about the reverent? I want you to see two things this morning. Absolute security and absolute joy. Absolute security, we can see it in verse 17, chapter 3. The Lord says, To those who feared him, to those who'd gathered together and said, We will remain together and we will remain faithful no matter what happens. Verse 17, the Lord responds, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. You see, the Lord says, look at verse 16. It's a book. It's a book of remembrance. So what is he talking about there? A lot we could say. Take go to a story, because most of us know this story, and we don't have to turn to it. The story of Esther, you remember? You remember the story of Mordecai? How one day he saw a plot to kill the king, and he reported that plot to the king, and the king's life was spared. Everything that happened in the king's life was written in a book. It's chronicled. And one night, the king couldn't sleep. And so he called the guy and said, hey, it's... Read me, maybe I can fall asleep. Bore me to death, you know. And so he starts reading all these chronicles of his life. And he comes across this one where Mordecai saves his life. And he paused him. He said, was anything done? He said, well, if it was, it had been recorded. Nothing's recorded. He, he was never rewarded. You remember what happened? This is simple, brothers and sisters. This is what God's promised you. It was recorded. It is remembered. And it will be rewarded. This is what that means. The Lord does not forget he sees how his children live. He watches how they suffer. And he sees it, he remembers it, and he will reward it. Absolute security. You can't get any more secure than verse 17. You belong to me. The Lord consistently, from Isaiah to the Gospels, to Peter, the Lord says, I am a shepherd coming to claim my sheep. From Isaiah to Hosea to Corinthians to Revelation, the Lord says, I am the bridegroom coming for my bride. This is, after all, covenant. All covenant reference. So let us remember the covenant. Jeremiah. Two places in the Bible that we need to remember as New Covenant Christians, among many others, but especially when it comes to these questions of who you are. You've got to remember who you are in covenant. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. Let's just look at Jeremiah 31. Look at verse 33. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And listen, I will remember their sin no more. Listen, this is the news that could even make a Baptist dance. If I had any rhythm in me at all, I'd, I'd do one right now. I can't help it. I can't hear music. I can't hear the tune. I don't feel it. Drives my kids and my wife crazy. This is awesome. You hear what he's saying here today? 
Here's the promise. I will remember you, but because of Christ, I will never remember your sin. I don't know. I can almost get it going, Mike. He remembers me. He remembers the the pathway of righteousness that I live. Every act of obedience is never forgotten. And because of Christ, every one of my sins will never be remembered. Praise the Lord. I mean, amen, somebody. We belong to Him, and it comes with privileges. We are His. Do you see what He says? Verse 17, you're my treasure. And yet we know this verse, right? What we are now is what we are now. But how could we say it? We ain't seen nothing yet. Right? This is growing. Those who fear me are treasured by me. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my treasured possession. I treat you like a son. I want you to see something. Let me put Exodus 19, 4-6 on the screen. I want you to look at this. Now, I want you in your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. I want you to see these two verses together. There's one central story of the Bible. God is redeeming for Himself a reverent remnant, brothers and sisters, from the very beginning. Turn, look with me in Exodus 19, verses 4 to six. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that I shall speak to, you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, look with me in your Bibles and let us read what Peter says to the church of Jesus Christ. Church, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for His own possession. Why are we those people? That we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We must be reminded, brothers and sisters, that verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who we are. And this, brothers and sisters, gives us both absolute security and absolute joy. Absolute joy. Verses 2 and 3. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So you ever was in school when you had a, did you ever like the bathroom monitor or the hall monitor? So what's their point? You know, what's their job? It's a terrible job to have as a child, right? You got to find everybody that's acting up. Then you got to tattle on them, right? God's not a hall monitor looking around waiting to smack you in the back of the head or write your name on a chalkboard. Listen, he has his eyes on his children because he loves them. And here's what he's saying. I'm going to remember your righteous acts. I'm going to remember them. 
And one day, when I come, you see, the Son of Righteousness is none other than Jesus Christ Himself. And here's what He's saying. The Lord is taking notes. He's taking names. And at the proper time, He's going to remember. When God remembers, He acts. What is He remembering? Every word and deed that you and I do on the pathway of obedience. Every single one of them. Listen. I can't tell you how comforting that is. Do you know how many people that we've invested in that's walked away? How many people that you tried to help follow Christ that smacked you in the face and walked away? Do you know? Have you ever tried to count them? Every single thing that we do on the pathway of obedience to our Lord is remembered forever and rewarded when the Son of Righteousness comes. Every tear you've cried. Take comfort from this, brothers and sisters. Psalms 56, 8 says this. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Answer, you better believe they are. Every act of suffering we do in the pathway of obedience, every person who walks away, every betrayal that you've ever experienced, is in his book. He sees it. And in the proper time, he will reward it. How? Because when the Lord comes, he will bring absolute healing. There's... There's going to be absolute joy because there's absolute healing. You see, He is the Son of Righteousness. You remember, John, I am the light of the world. Who is? Yahweh is. Who is Yahweh? Jesus Christ. Psalms 84 verse 11 says this about Yahweh. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. The source of healing, brothers and sisters. The source of this future absolute healing is the wrath-removing, substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. He is the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, 5, that He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. It's a promise, brothers and sisters. Psalms 147.3 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So let us not get confused. How does he bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted right now? His church. His church. His bride. We are gathering Brothers and sisters, we are lifting out of the ditches the, the, remnant, the remnant. And we are gathering into the fold and we are binding up their wounds. But there is a day coming when the future healing he's speaking of today will be complete, absolute, physical, spiritual, and emotional. What I'm saying is when Christ returns, every effect from the curse of the fall will be reversed and it'll all made whole. And what this produces in your life and my life is what verse 2 says, leaping. Leaping. It's hard to get a more clear picture if you've ever seen a calf leap. Right? 
We have meetings sometimes, and sometimes it's at Mike's house. He's got a pasture with, with cattle out there. I love to come out there once the calves have been born. Here's the question. Maybe Mike can help us out here. Why do calves leap? Why do calves leap? Right? You know what the truth is? Just watch them. They can't help themselves. Right? The picture is these, these animals have been cooped up because of inclement weather. And you release them from the stalls and they run out into the pasture and they can't help themselves. Brothers and sisters, when you know who you are in Christ, you cannot help yourselves but be full of joy. And here's the promise. What we have now is nothing compared to what it will be. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Listen. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Days coming. Do you know? There's a day coming when you're, when you, when you you're going to receive your commendation. You know what commendation means? Praise. One day we will stand before our King, the Lord Jesus, and He will commend us. You see, the Lord's praise is worth waiting for. But the Lord has something to say to us today. Listen, some of us need to hear this today. We live in multiple generations of fatherlessness. Where there weren't even fathers in the home, and if they were, they caused more damage than if they wouldn't even have been there. And fatherlessness leaves people searching for an approval that they can never have. Enter Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died in order to bring us into a family with a good Father who is powerful, but He is good. He is sovereign, but He is faithful. And today, you need to hear this. If you are in Christ, God Almighty is your Father and He loves you and you are approved by Him and you are precious in His sight. And listen, if that can't bring you joy, I can promise you, nothing in this world will. Our joy comes from our, this future healing that will come, that will produce Future leaping. Joy, uncontrollable, unstoppable, and listen, justice keeping. Verse 3. Brothers and sisters, there are times when you just ought to read the word and just try to be quiet. But this text right here says the righteous, the righteous themselves will tread down the wicked. You say, well, what does that mean? Let me just read another passage. I think, I think explains it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says this. <laughs> and Paul says this like, you should really know this, right? We're all going like, wow, what does that mean? That's what it says. 
Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? You see, when the Son of Righteousness comes and He brings healing, the curse is reversed. We are part of bringing justice that will flow like an ocean. We are part of that. It's part of our joy. No more injustice. Do you look forward to that day? If you ever experienced injustice, you would. So what today? This was greatly impacted by this. I wasn't expecting, I wasn't planning this application. I think this is important for us today. The truth is this, 2020 has been full of much trouble. Over and over. When we think we're beyond it, it gets worse again. We're in a season where we're trying to discern fact from fiction. What's truth? What's reality? Here's my question today. Landing the plane where we started it. Where is my, what is my foundational baseline motivation for how I live everyday life in times of trouble? What is my foundational baseline? In other words, when this trouble hits my life, we immediately go back to that which is foundational. And you will. Where, did we, where have we been? Where did we go? You see, every once in a while I climb under the house. I got a crawl space. And what I'm looking for is signs of trouble. <laughs> because if you have a house, sometimes you have trouble. And particularly, you're looking for water. If you've got a basement, you probably know this. You went down there and there's, you know, you got like a lot of trouble in your basement, you know. You have to deal with it. You go crawl under the house, I see water over in the corner. What, what am I going to do? Am I going to walk out and close that crawl space door and just pretend it's not a problem? I can tell you what's going to happen. Mold, mildew, you're going to have a problem, right? The water's not going away, so what do we have to do? I had to go outside and get my shovel and get my mattock and dig down to the foundation. All the way down to the foundation. You see, there's a foundational problem and nothing reveals it like trouble. Foundationally this morning, there are two heart motivations. Create it all or God all. Create it all or God all. And I can promise you this because we are human. If it is not God all, it will be created all. If we are not foundationally rooted in the vertical awe of God, when trouble comes, we will default to create it all every day and twice on the weekend. You see, here's the truth. We don't have diet problems. We really have all problems. We don't have relationship problems. We really have all problems. We don't really have job problems. We have all problems. We don't have a president problem. We have an all problem. Nothing exposes problems in the spiritual foundation of our lives like trouble. 
Here's what hit me because our family is reading through the story of David and Absalom. Going to, to Psalms 27 here in just a minute. When you read that story, especially as a father, you can feel the pain of David who lost his son twice. He lost him first relationally. He lost him second physically. And one day, basically, he lost his son and his kingdom. You see, either whether it's David's life, whether it's yours, whether it's mine, trouble exposes the quality of our fear and the quality of our faith. That either our fear is in God or our fear is in others or our fear is in our situation. Either our faith is in our Lord and Him alone or it is in others or it is in the situation itself. So you know this is true right now, don't you? The housing market is booming. Uh, Try to buy a house right now. It's booming. Can't find a camper if you wanted one. People are buying campers. What are they doing? They're responding to trouble. They're revealing their foundation. Either it is going to be God all in times of trouble, or is it going to be in created all in times of trouble. So what are people doing in times of trouble? They're spending. They're buying. They're buying houses and campers and They're changing jobs and leaving relationships and even committing suicide. It is an all problem, brothers and sisters. It is not enough to wait till the storm comes and try to pick your all up. We are created for it, brothers and sisters. And we must live in it. We must remain together because we need help with our all. Rick helps me. Mike helps me. We help each other when we remain together. Because my fire needs to be kindled and so does yours. We need to be reminded that I am misoriented myself. When I do, I gravitate towards created all. Psalms 27. Imagine this. The context of this is one of two things. David's either fleeing Saul. Or Absalom, his own son. So either his king is trying to kill him, or his own son is trying to kill him right now, when he writes this, and he writes this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Look at this. Look at this all. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David didn't at the worst times of his life. Says, God, if you would only give me my son back. If you would only give him my kingdom back. He said, God, I want more than anything in this world. To stand and worship with you, with your people. And God answered his prayer. The reality, brothers and sisters, this morning, you see, 
is we all bring our understanding of God into the reality of our lives in troubled times. We all do. And I'm speaking directly to Battleground Community Church today who love theology and love doctrine and love to study. It's why we preach the way we preach. It's why we study what we study on Wednesdays. We love it. We live by it. We relish in it. But listen, even theology and doctrine come behind dry, impersonal. And listen, even theology, when it becomes impersonal, will leave you joyless because it is in itself allless. David is comforting in verse 1 in the worst time of his life. This is the worst time in David's life. By this, the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. He is just not light. He's just not salvation. Brothers and sisters, today, if you're in Christ, He's your light. He's your salvation. And He's never lost a child yet. I am inseparably connected to the Lord of hosts because of His glorious grace. You see, that's the only type of fear that disarms all fear. I saw he goes on to say, The Lord's mine. What do I have to fear? I'm going to trust Him. End with this. Paul Tripp says this, you will only ever understand the things you face and how to deal with them when you see them through the awesome lens of your Redeemer. You will only ever understand the things you face and how to deal with them when you see them through the awesome lens of your Redeemer. Romans 8, 23 says, Not only creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, in this we are saved. Now hope that it seems not hope. For who hopes and what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. The Lord will come. And when he does, he will make all things right. And he will reward his children. And this we can trust. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful promises. These promises, Lord, are blood-bought. And you know that, Lord, for you gave your son for us. And so now, Lord, we want to respond to that which we've heard. We want to respond, Lord, to words set to music offered to you receive our worship Lord Lord we want to respond in obedience and so we want to celebrate communion Lord this fellowship we have is with each other and it is with you because of your son we've gathered here today to offer our thanksgiving offering for a finished work. And so, Lord, as we respond through worship, as we respond through giving, as we respond through celebrating the Lord's Supper, Lord, will you be worshipped? Will you receive our offering? Thank you, Lord, that you said, even what we are doing now, you are remembering it. 
And so, Lord, now we stand with joy, with security, in the fear of the Lord, and we worship you. Receive our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.